Hi, and welcome to AGM Watch, brought to you by the Australian Shareholders Association. Coming up on the 12th of October 2021 is the Telstra Limited AGM. Our company monitor is Mike Roby. Hello, Mike. G'day, Phil. How are you going? Good. So just before we get started, um, we had the chair, John Mullen, at the ASA annual conference, and it was quite interesting listening to him, wasn't it? It was. I mean, particularly the, the comments he made about about executive remuneration. It should become the fixed remuneration to get rid of all of this nonsense of uh, LTIs and STIs, yeah. And 35 pages in the annual report <laughs> devoted to it. <laughs> yeah, he came across as uh, very human, didn't he? And I think he probably is. That's the way he comes across when we have our pre-AGMs as well. He's, and he's also very candid. I don't think he hides too much. Yeah. So tell us about the uh, pre-AGM meeting. So there was the chair, John Mullen, and IR manager, Nathan Burley, and Peter Hurl, chairman of People and Remuneration. How did that meeting go? Um, look, they're always quite interesting, Phil. He was just as open as he normally is. This is John, who did most of the discussion. And he's quite across the business, but he's not actually what you consider to be a diet-in-the-wool telecoms man, and neither is Peter. So fairly brave move in a business undergoing a sort of digitisation not to have somebody who knows the technical detail, but perhaps they didn't expect me to either. So So what were some of the discussions that you had? Well, you have to believe their financial position because if you've watched Telstra's numbers, they've just gone down and down and down with the exception of the share price, which recently has gone up and up and up. And then it's just kind of turned the corner. And when I was a young lad, people said, Seven data points is a trend, not two. <laughs> so they're saying it's turned the corner and we're now on the way up and we've got one year left of this fairly radical digitisation transformation going on and it's all going to look good from here. Well, we'll get on to that in a, a few moments. But in the meantime, let's talk about the historical concerns of ASA, particularly Bridget Loudon's appointment to the Telstra board. How's that um, going at the moment? Uh, Look, our concern was that um, she's a very young woman, very entrepreneurial, and has run a business which is effectively matching people who've got skills to companies that are looking for that sort of skill. Nothing to do with Telstra. So we love the fact that they've actually stepped outside the box and recruited somebody outside. But we didn't quite see how it fit with Telstra's account because, in a sense, Telstra's already got a youth brand called Belong, and it's presumably got a marketing manager and someone that gets that pretty well. So the response when we challenged them that again this year, we kind of asked them how she's going and didn't get an answer. <laughs> so understandably, they're very coy about telling you what goes on in the boardrooms. But we found it difficult in this. It's a very complex business, Telstra. Our listeners may not appreciate just how complex telecoms is. Complex and, and huge, enormous as well. It'd be like you're steering a, a huge super tanker, really, isn't it? Correct. And you've got to deal with just a whole lot of issues, you know, apart from the political issues associated with the ex-incumbency. You've got to deal with taking a bunch of legacy systems which are just tired and turning them to digital only. And I had assumed that they would recruit somebody who'd done that, you know, somebody from Facebook or from, you know, Instagram or somebody who really had that OTT, as they call it, over-the-top experience in digital. But she didn't. That's not her forte. So it's probably a watching brief. We'll watch how she contributes. But at the moment, it's not transparent to us. That's the right choice. Well, hopefully there'll be some form of entrepreneurship that um, she's bringing to the role. Well, I'm sure she is. And I'm sure she does bring the voice of the millennial into the picture, which is all good. 
just not sure that you'd pay somebody 250 grand for that when you could probably bring in a millennial to your AGMs and have them tell you, like, man, like how you should do this from now on. <laughs> I'm sure they'd have plenty of opinions for a company like Telstra. So the, tell us about the current view of the Telstra business and its digital transformation. Like you alluded to, there's a lot of legacy business and um, a rapid turnaround in digitization of everything. And it's quite difficult to sort of describe just how fundamental this is. There's a whole army of consultants around the world roaming through the telcos of the world, telling them how to do this stuff. Very few have gone as far as Telstra. So they've actually effectively parked all of their billing systems, a lot of the network systems. Uh, they've moved everything onto the cloud for the corporate business. If you like, whoever was their consultant, they've taken to heart everything and just followed everything to the letter of the law, which means a lot of the sort of skill set that the people in the business had had to be refreshed. You've probably noticed that in a lot of other companies, they mentioned the word going online and particularly since COVID happened. Telstra's probably had the pick of the digital smarts out there in the Australian marketplace because it's such a big, you know, 800 pound gorilla. They can pay for what they want and they can probably get the best. And I reckon they've probably done a pretty good job. It's not that transparent to us, but you can see it in some of the numbers. Like for example, they talk about the number of calls in the call centres that are now being handled by people by just going into their app. Yeah, they've got that uh, My Telstra app now, haven't they? Yeah, and they've got 60-odd, 70% of the calls that are answered. And that is the only real, I think, consumer way of looking at the business and saying they're doing quite well because that's a fundamental change. Mm. No, it would be. I mean, my mother is of that generation that refuses to use anyone else apart from Telstra, <laughs> whereas I haven't been with Telstra for years. But having set her up with the My Telstra app, and um, I found the process pleasingly simple compared to what it used to be like dealing with a company like Telstra. Yeah, no, that's good. And then behind the scenes, of course, the billing system completely different. Those of you who are old enough, if you look at the business, say, 10 years ago, they made a lot of money out of text. That's gone. They made a lot of money out of international roaming. That's gone. They made money out of distance charging. That's gone. They made money out of things which no longer exist, including pretty well all of the fixed network calls because pretty well everything is now done on data. So their business was just cut to shreds by that. And then you put on top of that that the government basically nationalised <laughs> the backbone network you know, in a kind of almost totalitarian way and therefore removed their monopoly on the, on the backbone as well. So they've had pretty well every curveball that you can imagine thrown at them. And they appear to be coming out of that period quite well. For a long time, I thought, you know, they've got a CEO who has no background in this. And they had a chairman who had no background in this. And therefore, I was quite sceptical. But now that I kind of get that it's a completely new digital sort of business, it's like going to the digital thing and then working back rather than moving up to it. You know, I've, I've got a deeper respect for them now. Yeah. And of course, they've gone into much more competitive pricing as well. Yeah, that's right. Removed all of the sort of messy pricing plans. Oh, that's right. And they reduced all the plans, haven't they? There's only 20 plans now. Yeah. And got rid of the excess data. Do you remember that if you went over the, <laughs> yeah, if you oh, didn't oh, know did. how long the, the, the video was, you were going to get stung for 50 bucks at the end of it. All of that's gone. And I would have thought this is the slight problem that <laughs> we consumers have. I would have thought that would have halved their complaints. It doesn't seem to have changed that much at all. You know, they're usually billing complaints. You know, I don't understand this bill. And if it's just 25 bucks flat, I don't know how you couldn't understand that. Mm. 
So further on in the report, you talk about uh, ESG and Telstra being certified carbon neutral since 2020. They do it in large part by buying carbon credits from India, but they're also committed to being absolute emissions reduction by 2030. How is the association looking at this and um, this particular governance issue? Look, for a large company that was such in the eye of, if you like, government departments, this has really shown great leadership. You know, they've actually been one of the few to come out that strongly. There are, you know, one or two others like BHP and so on with more, if you like, more substantive problems associated with the environment have come out also very strongly. But it's another big 800-pound gorilla company that's lining up behind quite good environmental compliance. So they're They've done pretty well everything right in ESG. They've got a plan to be carbon neutral. They've got a plan to basically net zero. They're basically looking at getting all of their energy from renewable sources like wind and solar and so on in the future, which if you think of the the big data centres, they chew up a fair amount of horsepower of (laughs) of energy and therefore... It's an incredible amount of power they take. They are. Those servers just consume vast amounts of electricity. So you need quite a lot of wind and solar, which means they'll be sponsoring people to invest in it once they pick their partners down that track. So they're doing a good job. And they've got quite a good diversity program. They've got good people on the board. As I said, they've managed to attract the best talent in the country. You know, the only issue I really have is they really, I think, should get a digital specialist on the board. They haven't. They've got some really good telco people who've kind of been where they have been, but nobody's been where the future is, really, and that's that would be useful if they did. Yeah. Australian Shareholders Association is basically now committed to voting for all of the resolutions. Just quickly run us through some of those resolutions. Uh, let me just pull them up. So the usual ones, there's a re-election of the various directors and two of the directors coming up for re-election are two of the telco specialists. One of them came out of Europe and one of them came out of uh, the biggest mobile operator in the States, which is called Verizon. One of them had been a strategy specialist in his big company and the other one had had a range of different sort of marketing roles and so on. So it's a very good mix of skills for Telstra. And so we had absolutely, you know, absolutely behind getting those sorts of people back in the in the country. So that one was Nick Nick Yondandam, who's the European one, and a guy called Roy Chestnut, who's the guy who worked in Verizon. They've been there for three years. This is the first rollover, and if they've been party to what looks like a great transformation success, then obviously we think it's a great idea. The other ones are the allocation of uh, equity to the CEO, which is about basically his long-term incentive plan. You've got to put the money away in the event that the incentive plan matures and he's successful, which it hasn't for the last couple of years. So he really hasn't earned much. And we think both the quantum of the plan and the way it's set out is not bad. It's unusual, but it's reasonable. And if you looked at his salary to the size of the company, which is sort of over 50 billion, he's not actually collecting a you know, a massive amount of money. He can because the maximum payout's nearly 10 million bucks if he just does everything at the outstanding level. But uh, at this stage, it's a good stretch. So we think that's reasonable. And that's really it. It's not very complex set of proposals. And then there's a remuneration report. Which apparently is highly transparent. Very transparent. It's probably one of the better ones to understand, the easier ones to understand. As I say, it's unusual, but they lay it out really well. And they've got all of the hurdles and all of the kind of uh, measures upon which people are engaged pretty well articulated. So 
there's not much hidden, which is uh, quite refreshing. So is there any moves to um, bring back calling it PMG by any chance? Uh, look, I'll, I'll raise that if you like. <laughs> I think so. We should bring that up at the meeting. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure that would be that would really work. That's probably very retro. <laughs> That's right, yeah. It's, it's, so, yeah. it's going back to the future, really, isn't it? They're correct, yeah, PMG. And what would that stand for exactly? Uh, Postmaster General, wasn't it? <laughs> it? It would then, but you'd have to think of what it might stand for these days, actually. Yeah, just a current uh, view of that. Play my gig or something like that, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic, Mike. Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Uh, we had a little bit of an issue last year with the fact that the skills matrix was just a bit too general. That's a common problem with large companies on the Australian Stock Exchange. Some do it really well and some seem to be quite candid. They say unless you've effectively served as a, a CFO, you can't really tick the box saying you've got outstanding financial skills. You can put a half moon but um, not a full moon. Um, and so Telstra's doesn't even have the moons. They just kind of say what the skills are and they don't identify who's got what, which is the basis of our sort of questions about Bridget. So for anybody listening, well worth attending because I think Mullen does a pretty good, fairly candid job of uh, presenting. He is an excellent um, presenter as well, isn't he? Like we were saying at the beginning of the podcast episode. Yeah, no, he's very um, authentic, I think you'd probably say, in the current sort of environment and not a big salesperson. I mean, he doesn't sort of give you the sense that you've got to buy the car at the end. Please give your proxies to the ASA so that we can actually keep our, if you like, our weight in the boardroom because the kind of the more proxies we have, the more company people listen to us. So it's, it's got more than just the issue of the vote of the day. It's about saying that you trust the ASA to represent retail shareholders at their AGMs and throughout the year, actually. Yeah. Mike Roby, thanks very much for joining me today. Lovely to be here, Phil. Cheers.